still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every Good morning. We're filling back up, and that's a good sign. Good to see everybody uh, with us this morning. Uh, In just two weeks, we're going to have our teen weekend. And so, uh, as you can imagine, those preparations are well underway. At this moment, we have 101 teens uh, signed up to come and be a part of that special weekend. And I'm still looking for some of our own teens to sign up. So if you have not signed up, uh, please go to the website and do so. You were lucky. Uh, I was not able to order t-shirts on Friday, but it will happen first thing in the morning. So if you would like a t-shirt to the teen weekend, uh, please do so. And I appreciate all the contributions and all the help with that endeavor. Corey, it's good to see you, man. I know uh, that's already been shared by... Good to see you also, Lindsay, the caregiver. You are not forgotten as well. It's just a thrill to see you and so glad you're doing... And the beard looks good too, man. The beard looks real good. We have many in our family who are dealing with the great challenge of cancer and some are watching via the live stream this morning, Steve Johnson keeping him in prayer, Aiko, Linda Sexton, as well as her sister, if you saw that in the e-news. And so, Linda, our prayers go out to you. Brenda Clayton, uh, in fact, Brenda has been joining us via FaceTime just to be a part of class uh, when the preacher doesn't forget to call her. Uh, That happened last week. That was on me. Uh, but she's been joining us for class, and Brenda's watching via the live stream. Danny Spradley is certainly in our prayers, as well as we're remembering Kathy Fairfield, and uh, she's been communicating with many of us uh, via Facebook, email, and, and phone calls, and she looks forward to the day that her treatments are done and she can be back here worshiping with us, and so we're very thankful for her, and we're very thankful for a family in Christ that is so mindful of those that are dealing with great challenges. And it's with that in mind, I want to share a a letter that was shared to the elders, and we were given an admonition, please share this to the congregation, and it wasn't so much a please as, I felt like I better do this. Don Powell sent a handwritten letter, Uh, And he wanted the elders to share with the congregation his appreciation so much for all the love and the concern that was shared with him while he dealt with COVID in a very challenging way. He says, quote, I truly appreciate all of your feelings toward me and Joe. You have reignited my faith and you've made me humble. Thank you so very much. And so he also went on to give a big thanks to Mark Lloyd, the good doctor, who is, is he not everybody's doctor here, right? 
Uh, he, th- he just thought he was going to retire. Uh, but uh, Don wanted to say a special thanks to Mark for giving him counsel and great wisdom uh, with respect to medical treatment. And he also shares a heartfelt appreciation to Lindsay uh, Powell, who was simply his taxi, his cook, and so many other things uh, during that time, driving, her, uh, driving him back and forth uh, to the lake and to the hospital, taking him to the ER. He says, I'm praying for all of you every day too, and thank you again. So to Don, God bless you. So glad you are doing better. When our Lord Jesus started his ministry, that was more than just a ministry, it was a revolution. And he would share words that would change the world. Words that would be passed on to men to continue to share those words even in more detail than he shared. Where did he go to look for disciples? Where did he go to find the men that would carry on this mission? Where did he go to look? Well, what's interesting is he goes to the sea. And not just any sea, but a small sea in northern Palestine that we know as the Sea of Galilee. And who did he search for? Well, it says the first ones that he called were fishermen. Why fishermen? Why begin at the sea? Why not go to the educated, the endowed, the esteemed? Why begin with those who were considered empty. Those who in the minds of society were really second class and those who even in their own minds were of lowly esteem. You could say, well, our Lord went there because this is where he was from, this is where he lived. It it was his crowd, they were his people, and I wouldn't argue that. That's where our Lord grew up, and he knew many of these disciples probably even before he called them that day. But I would also suggest to you he went to this crowd because this was a lowly crowd. They did not parade big wins. They did not boast big business deals. They did not clamor for attention because of great accomplishments. To put it frankly, they were humble. And they were humble for a reason. Life humbled them. You see, they weren't arrogantly patting themselves on the back because their life was far, far from easy. Ironically, after a couple of years with Jesus, these lowly men, after witnessing the miracles, after being with the rabbi, after being part of the in crowd, after being the ones who everybody sought out, that humility would leave them. Even these men. In fact, it would leave them in a big way because they would actually start arguing, arguing among themselves. Well, who's the greatest? Uh, If if our Lord is establishing a kingdom, well, which one of us now is going to go and sit beside him? Can you imagine? From a seat in a boat to a seat on a throne. That's what they were thinking. 
And those arguments would lead to strife. The humility, it sunk faster than an anchor. And like is often the case when success and victory and accolades come our way, pride seeps in. You ever notice that? Have you ever noticed how easy it is to be filled with pride when you're right? You ever been right? It's a good place to be, right? I was right on that call. I was right on that suggestion. I was right on that thought. I was right with that theology. There's a danger that comes with being successful. There's a danger that comes with being prosperous. There's a dangerous that comes with being correct. There's a danger that comes with being right. Seriously, think about it. How often has pride hit you upside the head like a shovel after a wonderful victory, after a great success, after being right? I tell you, the words of Mac Davis in his song from the 70s are so true. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a well of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. I want to introduce a new series to you today. It's a series that I've titled Equipping the Saints for Ministry. We mentioned this last week in our elders' address that one of our responsibilities and maybe our greatest responsibility as shepherds is to equip saints. And what are we equipping saints for? We're equipping one another for a work. And it's the greatest work there is. It is a work of ministry, and ministry takes many forms. It comes in many shapes. It comes with many opportunities. There is a ministry that you have right now to your brethren, a ministry to seek out and to stir and to love. There's a ministry that every single one of us have who are married. You have entered a ministry of marriage to be one who is helping and aiding another. It may be that you're a parent. That's a ministry. But not just any ministry to bring a child into the world. No, it's a ministry to educate a mind, to guide a heart, to lead someone to Jesus. There's so many ways in which we minister to one another. There's a ministry that certainly comes with evangelism. So where should we begin if we're equipping? Where should we begin if we want to give someone the tools they need to be a minister? And not just any minister, a minister who is successful in the Lord's work, in the Lord's kingdom, and about the Lord's business. What I would submit to you we begin where our Lord began, by a sea, in a boat, speaking to those who are humble. For our Lord would say, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
Uh, the word humility is actually a very interesting word. If you were to look at it from just the Hebrew, what's interesting in the Hebrew, there wasn't exactly a word that we would exactly define as humble. In fact, often in the Hebrew, it would be a word that would almost imply afflicted or brought low or to become humbled because that was obviously what was commonly associated with that kind of humility. It's a humility that comes from defeat. A humility that comes from disease. A humility that comes from death. And granted, these tragedies humble all of us. But that doesn't mean we are humble. Later in the Greek, in fact, our word humility actually comes from a Latin word. We can see and understand that in the Greek culture, the Greco-Roman ethic never, ever once escalated or sought out a virtue known as humility. And why was that? Because in that culture, the idea of that kind of humility meant to be defeated. It meant to be crushed. It meant to be debased. More commonly, when we look at it the way it's used by the New Testament writers, they use it under the context as it is oftenly defined, and that is a lowliness of mind. I prefer, when you're looking at a title with respect to my occupation, that of a preacher or an evangelist, I'm more often than not am drawn to the word minister. And sometimes the word minister in the Greek is actually also the Greek idea of being an under rower. You ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? I know I'm showing my age. I've gone back to movies in the se- or songs in the 70s, and now I'm going to Ben-Hur. You remember when Ben-Hur was underneath the ship? He was a slave. He was a rower. He was in the bottom. He was down, way down deep in the ship. He wasn't up top because he was chained to an oar, and it was his job in the Roman infantry, or actually in the Roman navy, to simply pull on the oar. That's the concept of a minister. No accolades, no prestige, one who just pulls the oar. I think it's a good reminder of the job. But is that exactly how we try to get to the top? Anybody here ever been to a convention, maybe a sales convention? maybe some sort of seminar, did they ever begin with, all right, here's the greatest thing we all need today and we're really going to harp on that. We're going to speak to all of you about humility. No. But Jesus does. I I found a very interesting satire piece. (laughs) This is actually from Christianity Today many years ago. And it's a gathering of the board of directors who were disciples of Jesus if they were aboard like today. Satire, you ready? The board is gathered. Pete begins first. This meeting's been called at the request of Matt, John, Tom, and little Jim. Bart, will you please open us with a prayer? Bart, absolutely. Almighty God, we ask your blessing on all that we do today and say, and we earnestly pray that you will see our side as your side. Amen. Pete. Jesus, we've been following you around for some time and we're getting a little concerned about the attendance figures. Tom, how many were on the hill yesterday? 
Tom, 37. Pete, it's getting ridiculous, Jesus. You're going to have to pep things up. We're expecting big things to happen. John, I'd like to suggest you pull off more miracles. That walking on the water bit was the most exciting thing I've ever seen, but only a few of us got to see it. If a thousand or so had a chance to witness it, well, we'd have more, more people on the hill than we could handle. Little Jim, I agree. The healing miracles are terrific, but only a limited number are actually getting to see what happens. Let's have more water to wine. Let's have more fish and chips. You know, it doesn't hurt to fill some stomachs. How about steal more storms? How about give more signs? It's what the people need. Peter, right. And another thing, publicity is essential. You got to quit telling half the people that you cure to keep it quiet. Let the word get around. Matt, I'm for miracles. I want to hear a few more stories, though, that I can understand. If you keep saying those who have ears to hear and let them hear, it just clouds the issue. Keep it simple, Big Jim. I'd like to offer a new order of services. First a story, then a big miracle, followed by an offering, and then maybe say something pithy, followed by another small miracle to bring them back. And oh yes, you can end with a prayer if you like. Tom, yeah, we got to do something. The attendance figures are awful. Satire. But sometimes satire is true. When the crowds got big, in Luke 14, it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus doesn't do things the way we do it, does he? What do you mean by all that? I'm looking for humility. I'm looking for the soul that will humble themselves not just be made low by tragedies, not just be made low by calamities, not just be made low by poor consequences because of bad decisions. I'm looking for someone who chooses it. Got into a kick once. It was kind of a crazy kick. I decided I'd start running marathons. First marathon I ran, it was a fundraiser for the Leukemia Society because I kind of got to thinking to myself, I don't just want to run. I got to have some sort of a purpose. So it was a fundraiser for the Leukemia Society. And so we caught a flight to go out to San Diego. Cheryl went with me and they had this huge, big banquet dinner for everybody who was participating with the Leukemia Society. And we got off the bus there at the convention center. It was the craziest thing. There were just hundreds of people and they were lined up all the way inside the convention center and they 
they were just cheering and clapping, cheering and clapping. In fact, when, when, when I saw them all standing out there, I remember looking to Cheryl, I said, somebody famous is coming. This is going to be cool. And, and we got off the bus and we're walking in there with the crowd and we're going in between all these people and they're just cheering and they're just clapping. And I was like, wow, who is here? Who is here? Man, this is great. Somebody's got to be here. And then it hit me, they're clapping for us. Well, of course. I'm running my first marathon. And I'm doing it for the children. A little louder, please. This is going to hurt. But Jesus never claps. In fact, if anything, what you see with our Lord and what you're seeing He encouraging His disciples to do is run from the applause. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the greatest sermon ever shared. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The very first line. If you're in Ephesians chapter 4, where we look at this series, I want you to go back just a few verses, and I want you to go back to the great transition that Paul makes in this text. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 1, he gives the big therefore. Now he's getting to the point of the epistle. Now he's getting to where he wants to go, and he wants the brethren to see this. And now he's getting to who they are. This is the first words, if you will, by the Apostle Paul when it comes to ministry. And notice what he says. Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Humility. You ever chased humility? It's like trying to grab the wind. It's fickle. Because the moment you think you got it, that's the moment you lost it. I've greatly struggled with this lesson. I've been wanting to share it with you for a few weeks. But I couldn't get over this. I shouldn't be sharing this. It's not my sermon. Who am I to tell somebody else what's humble? Who am I to look at somebody else and say, here's the way you need to be doing it? Because I see me. I know me. And I fear too often my song is more like Mac Davis. (laughs) Than the words of Amazing Grace. So if you don't mind this morning, I'm going to let somebody else preach the sermon. 
When I was in the news business, you weren't allowed to plagiarize. <laughs> That's something you don't do. But as a preacher, I get to do it all the time. In fact, I'm encouraged to by the Lord. And so today's sermon is going to come courtesy of one of the most humble men you'll ever see in Scripture, John the Baptist. If you have the Heavenly Library with you, I'd like for you to take down the Gospel of John, and let's go to Gospel of John, and we're going to look at John the Baptist as his story is shared by the Apostle John. You remember the Apostle John, one of those who started out by the sea, but also one of those who got in the great argument about who's the greatest. As he begins to share the story of Jesus, he begins with John. And so here's what you see as he begins to share the story of John. He says in verse, in verse 6, there was a man. What a way to begin. He was a man. The story begins with a humble man. The story of the Messiah does not begin with a star, a conqueror, a visionary, a game changer. It begins with a man, a unique man to say the least, but people were drawn to him. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Go down to verse 19 and it continues. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they said to him, well, if you're not the Christ, then what then? Are you Elijah? Well, it's just one step down. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm not Elijah. Well, are you the prophet? Well, maybe you're the prophet that's prophesied when you look back and you consider some of the great writings and the prophecies from the Old Testament. Maybe you're the prophet. And he answered, no, no. So they said to him, who are you? I mean, we don't get it. You're this guy out preaching in the wilderness. You're the guy with thousands upon thousands and thousands of people. You got to have something going on here. There must be something about you that's special. There must be something about you that's attracting all the people. What is it? Well, it ain't any of those. Who are you? We got to give an answer to those who sent us. What were you going to say? What are you going to say about yourself? And here's what he says I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. First thing you notice when you look at John the Baptist is you can't help but be overwhelmed with this humility. And the first thing that really jumps out to us when you look at the humility of John the Baptist is that he remembers his role. And that's what humility does. Humility remembers a role, and it also remembers limitations. There's a limit to who I am and what I am. He knew who he was, and he wasn't trying to be anyone else. He goes, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice, and not just any, I'm just a voice in the wilderness. Isn't there a powerful lesson there? 
It's not just about the literal location of John now, but you think about the idea of ministry today. We're simply voices in a wilderness. This world is a wilderness. This world is just like a stark wilderness that the Israelites went through before they could get to Canaan. And he says, I'm just a voice. That's all I am. I'm just a voice. But I'm a voice nonetheless. Isn't it interesting that when you go and you look at Scripture, and if you went back to Ephesians 4.11 now, that the text says he gave some to be prophets, some to be pastors, some to be shepherds, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers. If you go to Romans chapter 3, and, and sorry, chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and you begin to look from verse 3 and especially verses 6 through 8, there are some who are givers, there are some who are teachers, there are some who are exhorters. The fact of the matter is every single one of us had been given something by God. Every single one of us had been given gifts. Every single one of us had been given by the Lord, not just what we need, but what He needs from us. And the first step in humility is accepting what you've been given. Anybody want to change your looks? Anybody want to change your size? Anybody want to change your height? You can't. Do too much about it. Like Jesus said, I don't, don't even be worrying about that. Who you are is what I need you to be. I want you to think about the things that fill us with pride. Looks. Accomplishments. Satan's biggest trick is to make us look beyond ourselves to be somebody else. I'll tell you one of the greatest challenges that we live in today is a world that's so consumed by image. You know what's beautiful to the Lord? Not Instagram girl, sorry. Not those on People magazine, not those on Entertainment Tonight godly woman is beautiful. The world doesn't define her beauty the way the Lord does. Totally different. But she's gorgeous. The servant-minded husband who loves his wife like Jesus loves the church is incredibly handsome to the Lord. found a great definition for humility. You ready? I think it's even better than those that we saw there in the Latin. I found this while searching, reading on a blog. Biblical humility means believing what God says about you over anyone else's opinion, including your own. One of the things that's fascinated me over the past year and a half while Mark and I have been going through these epistle studies, whether it was First or Second Peter, whether it was First John, whether it was Timothy, or even like we're doing now with Ephesians, every single one of them begin with the same lesson. 
They remind us of who we are in the eyes of the Lord. If you've been following us right now as we're going through the book of Ephesians, that's exactly how the book of Ephesians begins. It begins with the blessings of the Lord. This is what the Lord sees in you. This is who you are in the Lord. You are adopted. You are rich beyond your imagination. You are glorious in Christ. You've been endowed with blessings that go far beyond this world. Quit trying to reach for something that you're not and see what you are. John, you the Messiah? Oh, that had to be a temptation. I could be. Are you Elijah? Well, I dress like him and I like to think. Are you, are you? No. I'm just who the Lord's made me to be. I'm a voice. I'm a voice. In fact, don't look at me, look to him. Look in verses 24 to 27. I'm now back in the gospel of John, verse one. And, and now they had sent Pharisees. So now here, here comes another delegation. Here's another group coming out to John. And they ask him, well, why are you baptizing? All right, so you're not the Messiah. You're not the Elijah. You're, you're not, well, well, why are you baptizing? What's going on here if you're not a Christ, Elijah the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. But one stands among you who you do not know. Even he comes after me. The strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. The second thing that you notice about this humility is not just the acceptance of who he is, but it's also resisting the temptation to be more. Notice, it's the exact same encouragement, and that's the way Satan's going to work on you. Satan's always going to come back, well, it didn't work the first time, doesn't mean we can't try it again. Doesn't mean I can't come back around and try it a different way. And that's exactly what happens here. And notice what John says, he's... He's wearing sandals that I'm not even worthy to untie. I'm not even worthy to put the dirty shoes on his feet. I am so low. I am so far low. I can't even touch his feet. But yeah, it's powerful when you think about it. Because who doesn't? Who doesn't clamor for a little bit of position sometimes? Who doesn't sometimes wonder, well, they didn't ask me. I mean, if they were really looking for somebody to fulfill that role, hello? Who doesn't think, well, well why didn't I get a call? Who doesn't think, well, why didn't I get a like? I tell you, I posted something really neat. I mean, this place should be lighting up. Where's the accolades? Where's the praise? Where's the likes? Where's the hearts? Where's the applause? Where's the attaboy? Well, well, don't you understand who I am? I tell you, if this place really wanted to grow, well, they would ask me to do this. If this place really wanted, they would look as soon as they see me. Who doesn't begin a job and immediately think, well, you know, if you really wanted to grow this business, It's that constant desire to be more. It is a good question, though. Who are you? <laughs> who are you? Well, think about it as a disciple. That's who you long to be. Well, who are you? 
You, you mean your goal in life is not to be the big businessman? You mean your goal in life is not to be the big conqueror? You mean your goal in life is not to go after all these materials? Well, then who are you? It's a good question. Here's the way Micah answers it in Micah 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? Who are you? One who acts justly, one who loves mercy, and one who walks humbly with their Lord. How many passages of Scripture warn us about the praise of people? How many times just in the Proverbs do we see passages like this? Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, not the outsider, not your own lips. How many times do you read in the Proverbs, beware what precedes a fall? Pride. Pride. <laughs> All right, guys, how many of you said, watch this before you really got hurt? How many of you said, I got this until you learned you didn't? How many said, I can before you realized, I can't? I tell you, Peter speaks to all of us, but especially those who are younger. It's important, young people. One of the greatest things you can ever seek to learn is humility. In fact, he says it like this in 1 Peter 5, 5, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with what? Humility toward one another. You're right, the teacher's wrong. You're right, the elder's wrong. You're right, the boss is wrong. Here's the scary thing about it. You might be right. But that's no excuse to be filled with pride. Notice what John does. Even in his humility... Even in his ministry, I'm not going to be more than I am. Don't try to take me there. Uh, go over to chapter 3 now, and you'll find the other things that are shared by John. Uh, we're going to begin reading in chapter 3, and I'll, I'll begin here in verse uh, 20, 26. All right, John 3, 26. And they came to John. All right, am I seeing a pattern here now? But this time it isn't the Pharisees. This time it's his own disciples are coming to him. And they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, the one in whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing. John, whoa, John, John, you got to see this. Wait, we got a problem here, John. We've got to rally the troops. That guy, you remember that guy you baptized? Remember that guy that you pointed to? You remember that guy? Look, he's baptizing. In fact, he's on the other side of the Jordan. Wait, and he's baptizing, and, and we're losing our crowd. They're all going to him now. Wait a minute. This is frustration period. I'm in a job. And my business is running out of money. 
we got to change something here, John. We're losing it. A ministry is about people. And John answered, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me, bear me witness that I said. You remember what I said. I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, he just stands and hears him. He just rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I want you to notice the third thing that humility always does. Humility always rejoices at the success of others. And it doesn't matter who it is. A friend, a colleague, a child, an enemy. Do you know the Apostle Paul had lots of enemies? In fact, he talks about this in one of the epistles. The enemies would make fun of him. They would make fun of his physical appearance. They would make fun of his talk. And you know what Paul actually said on one occasion? You know what? Even these people who are preaching and they're doing it for the wrong reasons and they're doing it in the wrong way, if they're bringing souls to Jesus, I'm excited. I'll rejoice. Because humility rejoices over the success of others. What a great line you notice that he says, first of all, a person cannot receive one thing unless it was given to him by the Lord. You ever thought about that? There isn't anything that you have right now, whether it's a possession, whether it's a friendship, whether it's money, or whether it's even this much praise. It's a gift. It's been given to you. I've often wondered about John. <laughs> you mean you gave me these clothes? Camel's hair? I mean, John had the organic diet before organic was cool. Locusts and honey. I'm sorry, you can't get more organic than that. I don't care what you see on a box with somebody calling it organic. And isn't there some irony in anything on a box that says organic? Can you think about that for a moment? As far as we know, he's not married. He hasn't, doesn't have companionship. His parents were super old, so they probably didn't even get to see his graduation from Sabbath school or whatever else he went to. And his role in life is to be a preacher in the wilderness. It's a gift. It's a gift. And then he says, you know who I am? I'm simply the best man at the wedding. You know what my job is? I show up and I just stand there. That's all the best man does. It's the easiest job in the world, isn't it? You may sometimes be given the commission to hold on to the ring, but most of the time if I'm preaching the service, I don't let them do that. I don't even trust the best man with that. That guy's just there. And if he's not married, he's looking. Not the guy you need holding the ring. He has no responsibility at all except to show up. John says, that's all I do. I show up. Everybody needs to be looking at the bride and groom. And isn't it great? Isn't it great? They're leaving us. Can I tell you what's one of the greatest challenges of being a preacher? Pride. 
So the first thing you want to ask another preacher is, so, how's things going in your work? How large is your group? Oh, we're extending our building. Yeah. Having to remodel. Yeah, we got people driving from all over. Satan knows how to get you. And you know what works against us? Competition. Watch pride in our heart because we're competing. And what will eventually take place in that heart instead of humility are three dangerous, dangerous attitudes. Jealousy, envy, and strife. Turning your Bibles to James chapter 3, James warns us of all three of these. He says, who's wise among you? What a great way to begin it. James 3, verse 13. Who thinks you're wise? All right, wise guys, stand up. Who thinks they got all the answers? Please, stand up now. Let them show by their good life, by their deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. In other words, the wise guy's not going to stand up. He's just going to work. That's all he's going to do. He's just going to work. Because here's what James says. If you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Do not deny the truth. Because such wisdom like that does not come down from heaven. I mean, isn't it always the case? Well, I have a right to be mad. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be, do you know know how much more I know than them and they got the, do you know how much more I can do than they got to do, do you know what I can offer and they get, I have every right here. James says, no. That wisdom didn't come from heaven. It's unspiritual. Came from demons. It's competition. Jealousy says, I don't have enough. I want more and I want what you have, more specifically. Envy says, you know, I got a bum deal. You got lucky. I work harder than anybody else. I don't deserve where I am. This is unfair. And then strife, oh, where do you begin? If you're not going to give it to me, I'll take it. I'll take it. James goes on to say, but the Lord gives grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And may I remind us again of the words of Jesus in Luke 14. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know what a humble person does? Rejoices. Rejoices over the success of others. Humility. And then one more line. Go back to verse 30 of John 3. Just this verse. He must increase. I must decrease. Tev, you really want to look at a definition of humility. There it is. He must increase. I must decrease. And boy, would John decrease. 
and wow, would Christ increase. I have some other verses here. You can read those on your own. For time's sake, I'm going to move on. I don't want to get a little heartfelt for you as we wrap this up. Ministry, in whatever shape or form it is, is not easy. The work of ministry, it's work. It's work. And, and, and working with people is work. I mean, how many times have you said, I love my job, it's the people. They're saying the same thing about you, just so you know. They are. <laughs> Don't think they're not. Because the longer you, you're around somebody, the more you know them, the more you see. And the more they see, the more they see. So if you're going to go into ministry, you need to be in a constant state of repentance. And here's what I mean by that. A constant awareness of how pride can seep in, because it does. Because ministry is tiring, it's consuming, it can be draining at times. It can be unfair and unjust and underappreciated. Who hasn't felt like that in a marriage? Who hasn't felt like that as a parent? Who hasn't felt like that as a teacher? Who hasn't felt like that as a disciple? But if nobody remembers your name, if nobody acknowledges your deeds, If nobody sees and understands your sacrifice, but in some small, minute way, you help them see Jesus, you succeeded. Because that's the name you want them to know. That's what it's all about. Joe and I had a very dear friend who was filled with pride. He was successful. Not too many people can retire at the age of 40 and retire well. And he's a good man. In fact, I would go so far to say he was a great man. Taught me a lot. But he couldn't humble himself to be a Christian. Too much pride. Too much pride. And so I would pray all the time, dear Lord, please humble him. Dear Lord, please humble him. Whatever it takes, humble him. I love him so dearly, humble him. And one day the Lord did, like you see in the Old Testament. His godly wife, who was a worthy woman, a woman he didn't deserve or any other man, She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And it humbled us all. 
But before she went to meet the Lord, he finally humbled himself to the Lord's will. I'm very careful about my prayers now. I'm a little more specific. But then sometimes I really don't need to be. Especially concerning myself. You want to be a minister? You want to be a servant? You want to be a part of the kingdom? It takes humility. And what comes often with humility is humiliation. But may we choose humility because we know it's where we need to be, not where we're made to be. John. Probably not on too many posters in your kid's room, you know, right up there with the Roger Staubach, the Tom Brady, yay, with John. But that's a life worth emulating. He must increase. I must decrease. You know what Jesus would eventually say about John the Baptist? There's no greater man born a woman. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. No one's greater than John. Why is that? Because he was humble. He was a humble man. Do you know what Jesus goes on to say? You can be greater than John. (laughs) He's not appealing to your pride or my pride. He's simply reminding us where humility leads. And this morning, this morning you have the opportunity to take that first step in humility. To come to the one who humbled himself to the point of death, even the cruel death of the cross. Isn't it interesting that one of the most powerful and sometimes most staggering characteristics of our Father, our Jesus, is that he was humble, never asserting his own way, because even Jesus was pointing, pointing us back to the Father. And that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. This morning, we give you the opportunity to humble yourself to the waters of baptism that were offered by Jesus Christ. To give your life to Him, that's a life worth living. And here's who you will become. Here's who you are then. A child of God. Beautiful and glorious in His eyes. And you're rich beyond imagination. For you receive an inheritance like no other because he's washed away all your past. If you will, but humble yourself and come to him. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to him. We can help you do that this morning. We invite you to come while we stand and sing. The Lord is in His holy temple. Again. 
Thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence, peace.